The following podcast is a part of RadioMisfits.com. It's time for Caffeinated Comics, a lively discussion and debate on comics, film, television, and collectibles, all fueled by the magic of Frappuccinos. And now, here's your hosts... John and Steven. Thank you. This is Caffeinated Comics. I'm your host, John Clark, and it is an interesting time to be in media. Uh, we, uh, we're at the point where we've all gotten used to every single show becoming a huge streaming platform and every single show coming back. Uh, we've suddenly seen the wave break, and there's been a rollback, it seems, of uh, the bean counters of deciding that uh, some shows aren't worth putting the money into, and some shows aren't worth keeping up that are already produced. And I don't know why. It's a weird feeling to me, so I needed to get uh, some reassurance. So I reached out <laughs> to my old friend, Wally Podrazic, who uh, is a professor at the university. Uh, he works at the Museum of Broadcast Communications and has written nine books with Harry Castleman. And today, for the first time, we have Harry Castleman. Say more. That Harry Castleman. So, um, gentlemen, since you both have written so much about television, I'm sure you've spent the last few years trying to integrate streaming into your view of television. Uh, and now it seems that is is that time over or is it going to morph into something else? Well, let me just jump in and say the word morph is really good. <laughs> okay. Because because about now more than a half decade ago in one of my classes and I'm introducing myself to the the students and all and we were talking about tv history and one of the students said quite bluntly and quite directly if all she had access to was netflix that equal television didn't need anything else and so with that as a starting point, I went, all right, something definitely has shifted in terms of the opening assumptions of what is television. But we've seen a lot of this is the latest thing come and go over the decades as we've been chronicling it. So our tendency is to say, let's put this into a how does it really sustain itself? Uh, point of view, looking at it as a business. And then John will get to your uh, probably underlying point in all this is, are my favorite shows going to be coming back? (laughs) (laughs) How many Star Treks can we have? (laughs) (laughs) Very good example. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I I had a similar situation with with Wally and the only was more personal direct uh, probably around the same point or a little bit earlier, my my daughter, who, you know, we grew up watching television together and so forth. And I remember now she's out on her own and, you know, that's great. And, and I was asking her, you know, what she watches on TV. And she said, you know, watch on TV. You know, <laughs> I mean, she she doesn't she likewise, she would get whatever she would get through through streaming. And at that time, which was, you know, what, same thing, about five years or so ago, I remember thinking, wow, that's that's rather, you know, extreme. I, that's more, more than I would think I would hear from. But, you know, 
I've come around now and I don't really watch a lot of linear television very much anymore myself. But let, let me jump in. One of the reasons why the streaming, I believe, has connected, uh, did connect and still connects, is uh, basically three prongs. One is that, well, the material was accessible. It was available. The second, that it was low cost compared to old-fashioned TV equals cable. Don't even want to go into over-the-air TV because that would be ancient history. And then, <laughs> and then it was, uh, there was a convenient means to access it. So those three all combined with, of course, what, what was, uh, I think it's like 2012 when like half the country had a smartphone. In other words, now you had that device in your hands. So all of those buttons are pushed. And so it was a matter of convenience and cost. And it was what you wanted when you wanted it. I still find it amazing uh, to look at the trajectory of where it seemed TV was going. Home theater, bigger and bigger screens, bigger and bigger screens, super stereo, what have you. Oh, wait, it's on this phone. All right. that Okay. Retrench, regroup. So what do you watch and how do you watch it? And that's important because it starts determining what is on the screen. If you're watching a screen that small, then you're probably going to have a lot more close-ups. Uh, you're, you're, you're not going to have these wide shots unless this venue is only one of the ways that this material is being repurposed or purposed in the first place. And, and, you know, I mean, I'm the guy who is proud to say that I remember years ago, decades ago, when McDonald's first came out with breakfast, I thought, that, that's insane. Who would eat breakfast at McDonald's? You, you know, so I, I've been on the cutting edge of notification <laughs> for some time. Was this six months ago, Harry? Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I seriously, I still think, you know, it's sort of like, why would I want to watch a TV show on a little handheld device? I mean, you know, okay, some of the bigger iPads, okay, that's not too bad. But, you know, it it, it struck me as, as odd. But, you know, hey, I people have proved me wrong a lot of times. Yeah, I felt that uh, streaming really took off. I remember the early days of Netflix when they were still mostly a DVD mailing company. Mm -hmm. And they started to add streaming and you had to go to the browser. And, uh, and you know, they had a small catalog. And I would watch it. I was like, well, that's okay, but it's not really comfortable. And then, uh, and then the Apple TV came out, and uh, and the Roku came out, and it's like, oh, well, now these websites that are showing video are actually on television, and that's I still watch television, uh, but yeah. I, but I, I have mean, an Apple yeah. TV that streams everything. But my son will curl up in a ball, yeah. you know. And I asked him, uh, I, he's fifteen, so I asked him last month. I said, you know what? I think you're old enough to watch Breaking Bad. And he said, Dad, I'm on season four. And he went right back <laughs> into his phone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, to, to me, as a, you know, all, all of us are somewhat older, but to me, the real revolution, the, the Big Bang moment was when you could connect your regular big size television to the internet, however you did it, through Roku, through a smart TV, Apple, to whatever. Once, I mean, I remember myself when we finally hooked up our TV and it could 
get to the internet, it was like the shackles fell from my eyes. Uh, you know, there it was. The world was out there waiting for me. And it was it was a great feeling. Uh, but, you know, it's it's the trouble is, as, as to jump ahead to the punchline here, is that's all wonderful for all of us sitting at home watching stuff. But for the companies producing television shows, for the companies distributing television shows, they're realizing this isn't the greatest thing since sliced bread because they were having a wonderful time during the height of the cable years when people were sending in their monthly checks or paying monthly for whatever it was they watched or didn't watch. And that was the money that was being used to finance a lot of the TV production and rights purchases and so forth. And that's great, but with cost cord cutters going up and streaming subscribers not going up as far, you've got a gap. And that's what Hollywood, et cetera, is facing at the moment. Well, that's really and, fascinating, Harry, because uh, going back to uh, Wally, your point saying, you know, if everybody's looking on a phone, uh, you're going to have a lot of close-ups. But what we've seen is the Disney's and the Amazon Primes and the Netflix just pouring, pouring budgets into this. Uh, you know, the Rings of Power was the most expensive series ever produced, and it was okay. Uh, but, but Disney, Disney has been putting was putting out a Marvel or a Star Wars every two months. And as previously mentioned, Paramount Plus has six different Star Trek series. There are as many Star Trek series on Paramount Plus being produced as there were in the history of Star Trek. Uh, but, you know, was it a gold rush? Did the, did the studios just get really greedy and pie in the sky about how much they could spend? Because it seems like it seems like, you know, they've woken up the next morning and that and the bill is due and they got the hangover. The great quote I found, which I'd already passed along to Wally, which a, a media analyst that I had never heard of. His name was Robert Fishman, said about a month or so ago, he said, once great companies will have to face the reality that they can no longer afford to light money on fire, chasing profits that don't exist. And 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 that's really the key to all of this is was you say were they being greedy? They were almost being anticipatory greedy. That is, if we've got this locked down, then the money will flow. But that's occurred to a lot of other companies as well. So it's not an exclusive for us. One of the things that, that struck me about who's in the best shape, someone like an Amazon Prime, uh, which basically, or, or even Apple TV, that's not their main business. So if they have kind of a, uh, a little disappointing quarter, that's a, a, a rounding error, so to speak, uh, in the larger scope of, of the companies. Now, obviously, they can't have too many of those rounding errors. But in the case of how do we sustain streaming, to start with, they're in a better position. But if you have some new folks coming around who say, I'm going to make my fortune in streaming, but I don't have anything else to fall back on, then they're the ones who have to look once, twice, three times. I mean, it's it's no accident that some very large 
um, corporations, Disney being a very good example, uh, can afford to take these leaps. But even a Disney would have to pause a moment and say, all right, have we figured out how to cover all of these costs? Because you can't have a Star Wars new every month. You can't have a Marvel new every month. And so uh, actually looking at something like like a Disney, and you're talking about your uh, MCU uh, universe show, uh, that is an example of we need that part to work. We need the hard ticket sales to work. And then you go to the Loki series, the Loki series. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you really look at that, say, well, it doesn't have quite the same budget as right. the as the wine. There's a lot of set reuse. Yes. Yeah. You know, you know, an, an analogy I like to think of is it reminds me somewhat of like somebody who wins the lottery. And you know, you you got all this money and you think you're all set for the rest of your life. And then, you know, hey, let's buy a new house, a, a bigger house. You know, let's buy a nice car. We got to get a vacation house, too. You know, and then the next thing you know, I just can't make it on a million dollars. You know, I mean, it's just not enough. And that's somewhat of they just thought, hey, we've got all this opportunity, this this bandwidth. We've got all this ac access. We can create all these shows. That's great. But at some point. The bill comes too. And speaking again with the uh, younger uh, uh, demographic, when I gave, I rattled off a list of shows that were going to be canceled, that are going to be, the plug was being pulled. And the students in my class recognized maybe two of them. So it's not like they have been eagerly following each one of these offerings. They have followed, they have gone to the ones that, that they like. And it's almost like the old days of broadcast. It, you may have 110 shows in the Nielsen uh, ratings uh, for prime time, but there's only about 10 or 15. Looks like Wally's been censored. Wally dropped off for a minute and he was right about to get to it. Harry, do you want to follow up on what he said? Well, what Wally was trying to say. <laughs> this is how you co-author. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's it, 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 as Wally said, we've been looking at the history of television for a long time now. And, and you you see cycles. Things are cyclical, even though the chain, the huh, Wally's back. I was just saying, Wally, that I think what you were getting around to was that things are cyclical. And when the beginning, when cable began, everyone said, oh, this is wonderful. We're going to have unlimited amount of material and shows that we can do. And, you know, the next thing you know, all these channels like MTV that used to be very revolutionary playing music videos, they're playing dating shows and they're playing, you know, game shows and so forth. And it's, it's just the same thing in different packages. And you've got a small number of people in control of all these various channels. I think, well, the, I was going to say one other thing, uh, John, where do you think the cool kids hang out these days streaming? I'm going to nominate uh, HBO Max as the uh, the current fave uh, amongst them. So what, um, what do you think? 
I mean, it depends on who, it depends on the demographic. I know my, you know, I have a 15 year old and a nine year old and my, uh, my nine year old is all about Disney and my 50 year old, I can feel him just starting to drift off. You know, he, uh, each one of the Marvel movies, he's not as interested in, you know, uh, I, for the last year, he knows I'm going to go to all of them. And he's like, ah, dad, tell me how it is. And I'm like, if it's great, I'll go again. If it's not so good, we'll watch it on Disney plus, but he, uh, it might be HBO Max, but HBO Max is the most problematic right now because they're the ones slashing the most. And it reminds me, Harry, as you were talking about being cyclical, uh, streaming does remind me of cable in that yeah. growing up, we had, um, if you were in that neighborhood, you had HBO. And growing up, I was not in that neighborhood, so I had WHT. <laughs> um, but I would hear about these things on HBO and people say, oh, if you can get to cable, there's all this stuff, there's everything. And uh, when, say, like something like the Cartoon Network started, oh, this is amazing. All the cartoons that have ever been on are on all the time. We can watch the Super Friends and we can watch uh, Droopy and we can watch the Deputy Dog and McGilla Gorillas as much as we want. And they all seem to get to that point where then they make Space Ghost Coast to Coast. And they go, well, here's the money. And now you turn on Cartoon Network and there's no Hanna-Barbera cartoons. You know, there's there's no Looney Tunes because it's all their original programming. Yeah. And I, I, streaming was going that way. So what's, what's conf confusing me is that they're doing the cable thing, like HBO Max, perfect example. Like they're removing shows that they produced and that they own. You know, it's not like they have... Seinfeld, you know, Seinfeld famously went from Hulu to Netflix yeah. um, friends, you know, Netflix paid something like, was it hundred million dollars to keep it one more year. These are things like, like Looney Tunes. There was a hundred Looney Tunes just disappeared. Um, decades of Sesame street, which, you know, HBO now produces and has the rights to just disappeared. Justice league unlimited. These are all things that they paid for. They're not licensing them, but they don't want to pay the royalties. And how how small those royalties must be, like how many people are watching season three, episode 12 of Justice League Unlimited, you know, for J.M. DeMattis, who's been on our show and has written a few, to get, you know, five five dollars. It's still too much for them, it seems now. And though I always looked at streaming as it's this hard drive. It's a hard drive that has everything. But it seems like, no, it's a network. Well, and, and as you probably discovered with your own personal collection, hard drives are not infinitely, uh, there, there's not an infinite amount of space there. You got to buy a couple more hard drives uh, to uh, capture everything that you want to capture, which means you start making those decisions just as the corporates are making those decisions. Do I really need all of that in uh, storage? I still own it. No one else is going to get it. Right. So, so that's one thing that they do have on, on their side is like, yes, if they're not using it, someone else isn't going to grab it and, and make a, a profit or steal audience with it, mostly. But if it's uh, something that gives them just enough, then they'll go with the just enough. And, and that's sort of part of the wake-up call that we're experiencing now, which is especially with, with some of these acquisitions of the, the, the famously Discovery, uh, Time Warner, uh, oh, I, 
I say Time Warner, boy, I'm showing my. Um, basically, so you much might as well say AOL Time Warner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Warner Brothers has been at the center of so many failing companies <laughs> that buy them and then use them as an excuse. But the the the, the key thing is that uh, they they have these uh, deals which inevitably involve debt. And so you could say, if they're able to pull this off, this is great. Well, okay, here's a little problem with pulling it off. The 20 million, and that's low probably in a lot of these cases, debt that you now have inherited or you've generated. So you're not starting with zero and building from there. You're starting with minus 20 million and yeah. building from there. I mean, to me, as, from a, somewhat of a legal background, it, it, it reminds me somewhat of the 2008 mortgage crash. You know, when they were, when companies were selling mortgages to anybody who had a pulse, saying, oh yeah, the economy's going great and these will all be wonderful. We'll be getting in these, you know, payments all this time. Well, that is just wonderful until people can't make the payments anymore. And then all of a sudden you've got all these loans that aren't performing and you've got a gigantic gap in your, in your balance sheet. And, and, and that's somewhat what's, what's going on here is that you just, you, if, if you assume that every people are going to just keep watching and buying and buying, it all makes sense. But it, when you, so when you make these acquisitions, acquisitions with this big debt balance, yeah, well, well, we'll take care of that. Well, maybe you will and maybe you won't. And you asked, John, what's different, say, from the early early days of cable and all. Remember I mentioned the things that were attractive about streaming in the first place. Uh, the low cost of access, uh, convenient means, uh, material available. One other thing, very few, if any, commercials. At least that was the initial. Initial. And that was the initial appeal of cable as well. Right. You pay your monthly cable fee so you don't have to watch ads. And then suddenly by the late 80s, no, there's ads. Yeah. A lot of ads. Yeah. And and so that the problem, of course, is that the audience size doesn't let them charge the rates that they were used to charging just for over-the-air ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox, etc. I mean, that's where something like the Super Bowl is the anomaly, is the, this is the way it used to be, where people really wanted to watch this programming and watching it in record-shattering numbers. Live. So Live. they can't zip over the commercials. Right. And advertising agencies, because course i've been in advertising for 20 years there's there's a gold fever that goes through advertising agencies for super gold commercials and you see it in half the commercials half the uh, there was one commercial i was like i don't think there's a concept at all in this but man did they spend a lot of money absolutely i mean you know tell that i mean it's 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 somewhat different but you know the old dirty secret of, of even going back to network radio and television was, you know, people like Wally and I would be talking about the art and these great programs and this and that. Well, that's all lovely. But what at the heart, what radio and television was, was selling eyeballs. That's what it was. The advertiser knew that people were listening or watching the commercials that were inserted. And then when it went to cable, then things had to change. And as we know, all of a sudden there's ads on cable mostly, or it's made up for in subscription costs. 
And that was the idea is that the subscription costs would make up for the lack of advertising. But then, you know, you get to a station, a channel, and you say, well, if we're making this much with the subscription costs, if we added in advertising, yes. make more money, wouldn't that be better for us? And that's, you know, that's a slippery slope. And the other slippery slope was uh, it, it is a given that you be, you would bemoan the cost of cable. You would bemoan that you were paying for stations you never watched. One of my favorite stats from the Nielsen company over the years was their assertion that no matter if you had 500 channels or 50 channels, at most, you'd watch 17. And even that, it's at the high end. It was probably more like five to six, but if you counted every little visit, you probably hit 17. It was a different 17 for everybody. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, uh, it wasn't watching all of those, but you were paying for all of those, which meant uh, at the far end, and ESPN became one of the most lucrative uh, uh, cable channels around, but it also meant that a lot of tiny cable channels kind of got a free ride. And they could not have sustained themselves if they had to convince John and Harry and Wally to pony up even 50 cents a month. But instead, they were there all along. Well, once you've pulled the cable plug out, then not only do the big companies who have made these massive deals for, say, sports rights, uh, have to now figure out what they're going to do, but these tinier channels basically they're gone and, and that's of course been obviously been happening the last couple of years there's been a large number of smaller cable channels cable services that have bit the dust because they just there's just not enough people who want to watch them and then that takes us back to streaming yeah. uh, that is there's very high interest obviously in a handful of key shows that is um, if you're a Hulu fan, then you, uh, I, I, I'm a Hulu fan, so I will tune in only murders in the building. Mm -hmm. uh, if I were really devious, I would have dropped the subscription immediately after until season three comes around and then reinstitute it. And um, they know I'll that, which is why they, they try to to stagger, stagger you know, Apple TV always has one show I want to watch. You know, I, and it, I signed up for Apple TV, Apple Plus, to watch the Beatles Get Back uh, uh, series, uh, and I, I paid for a month, and then then I dropped out. Yeah, I was uh, I I I was given Apple TV Plus because it, if you bought an Apple product, I think it was uh, 2019. If you bought any Apple product, you got it for a year, and then Ted Lasso came out. And then, so there's always something. Right now, I'm watching uh, Shrinking with Jason Siegel and Harrison Ford, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's great. Is it five dollars a month? Good, maybe not, but I know when it ends, they'll they'll probably be something else, you know. And that's why I I love to use the Paramount Plus example. Um, is Dave Roberto Orsi has figured out there's that there are enough Star Trek series in production that 
there's almost never a week without Star Trek. But, 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 but seriously, I mean, I, I, since I, you know, I like Star Trek, I watched most of the movies, you know, but that's, that's it. That's as far as I got. I got to ask you, I mean, with all these Star Trek shows, how many do you actually watch? I watch all of them because, because it's one series at a time. If, if, if they put out six a week, uh, like it, if it was the CW doing DC comics, mm-hmm. you know, there were six series. There was, I, I, yeah. I couldn't watch any of them yeah. because, you know, I liked the flash the most. I was watching the flash, but then the flash would cross over with arrow and it would cross over with Batwoman, And I'd be like, I, I'm out the way they're doing star Trek is right now they're doing star Trek Picard. So anyone that's a next generation fan will watch 10 weeks of that. When that will, when that is over, they will bring back strange new worlds, which is their, new take on the 60s show and when that ends they'll do lower decks which is their rick and morty style animation and when that ends they'll do prodigy which is their nickelodeon animation so they have one for every demographic but if you're if you're a fan of the core franchise you know there are series i don't like as much but i'm like all right i'll i'll watch i'll watch this one because it's the only one on and I, i feel like that's sort of brilliant it's the same thing with disney with marvel you, you know, the guy they love. They, they, I, yeah. <laughs> and I'm doing free publicity right now. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I'll, I'll dive into the Picard for, for a second, because of all of those that you described, Picard is the only one on that checklist that I say, I would like to see more of this. And I say the same. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's not to jump off the track, but the oh. first episode of season three is exactly what you wanted. You know, it's the Game of Thrones, uh, WandaVision uh, version of the next generation. And it's uh, they're saying this is act, this is really the film after Nemesis. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's feeling like it and it's giving you that. But it's also but then it's also switching gears and talking uh, like Marvel. It talks a little bit differently depending on what character it's just shifts the audience slightly, yeah. Yeah. but you know, we're three old guys right. and, uh, and, and Shatner and, uh, and George Takei are the only ones alive from the original series. <laughs> so, so if we want a reunion of people, it has to be the next generation so that that gets us. And as you said, Wally, I'm not so interested in, in the other ones. I'm not very interested in Star Trek prodigy, but my nine year old is. Mm. And because of that, he, he loves, he loves Lower Decks and Prodigy. They're both animated. But um, Picard, the first Picard came on today, and he was right next to me. Now, here, here's the key, and we're talking about the viability of streaming. Uh, uh, just speaking from it historically, it's going to be the same thing as we saw in over-the-air television, in cable, etc. Yes, there uh, are theoretically hundreds of offerings that you could see streaming as individual programs, channels, etc. But it really does boil down to a handful. And it may be that you would rather spend your viewing time with a known commodity, whatever form Star Trek is in, but Star Trek, the brand is a known commodity. And if are there 10 other shows uh, offered by the same service? Sure. Are you going to watch all of them? I only have so many minutes in the day. Star Trek gets a slot. And if there's time, maybe something else comes in. So in that sense, the companies actually are doing a smart thing. Yeah. I mean, Uh, that's why IP is so. The the marginals. Yeah. 
That's why IP is so important because you're right. You, you remind me of, of something Tom Petty once said. They said when, uh, when they used to go out on tour, they said, well, we can pick half the set list because we know we have to play American girl and refugee sure. and sure. free fall. And, and that's half our list. So it, in that same thing with the IP, it's like, well, okay, we know they're, they're going to come from Marvel and star Wars. I, I would I would say shows I didn't even like that much, like Book of Boba Fett or uh, or Discovery, Star Trek Discovery. I'm not the biggest fan of. I'll mm-hmm. watch those every week, but it took me uh, four episodes to try The Last of Us, and that's because everybody's mm-hmm. saying it took me. I didn't start watching The White Lotus until season two aired and caught up on season one because it was an unknown variable. Yeah. Actually, I told you my enthusiasm for only murders in the building. Yeah. The way I watched season one was when season one was just about over so I could sit and watch because now I knew, oh, all right, I think I'm going to like this. Let me go back to the beginning, zip through it. And now when season two comes along, actually, I was frustrated because I had to wait each week for a new episode. I liked the idea of reading the book, so to speak, and going through maybe three or two or three at a time. But nonetheless, if you asked me to name six other shows via Hulu, uh, apart from an kid, well, like a, the, the Rick Rubin McCartney special and stuff, I mean, there's a short list. Yeah. Of- probably come up with but for regular tuning in got me but and you know that that is that is the one of the downsides of all this is that i mean it's it's wonderful they're smart to focus on these in effect pre-sold titles that people know but you know to me one of the beauties of of tv and, and any kind of art form is when something that you've not heard of uh, that you kind of discover or you hear about and of course that still happens but it's harder it is harder for unknown properties to break through like it it was never easy but it was easier in the past yeah you need this is why you need promotion yes because you, because people don't stumble you don't flip the channels on streaming uh you know they say it's the thing with amazon you can't go window shopping on amazon right. you you can only you can only go up to the counter and say you know I need Advil. Yeah. But, you you know, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, we're we're Amazon Prime subscribers, and I am constantly, just literally by accident, bumping into things that I'm like, oh, oh, A, that's here. I didn't know that was here. Or B, I had never heard of this. That looks interesting to me. But it is completely sometimes by accident and literally just bumping into it because it's not right there in front of you. Right. And you, uh, Harry, I think you've talked about stumbling across historical documentaries. Oh, yeah. Such, yeah. Where it, it's, you didn't start the evening looking for them, but when you find them, you're glad you did. And then you'll send me a note saying you might want to watch this. And yeah. so that actually, and that comes down to the social media part yeah. of streaming, which is, there actually is advertising um, there, but it's word of mouth advertising. Yeah. And I will tell you consistently, not 100%, but most of the time, if someone I know and respect, say John, say Harry, uh, say, you really might want to tune this in, 
I'm probably going to tune it in. Yeah, I just said probably one of the favorite shows my wife and I watched over the last couple of years. We were we were at a wedding of a, a friend of mine, and I was talking with somebody I'd gone to law school with. And the guy who got married had gone to been my law school friend too. And this this woman I was talking to was I was you know she was saying oh she's just been watching <clears throat> this program. I said oh I never heard of it. Well, you know, we get get back home and we look it up and and we loved it. We watched we watched like six seasons of it, uh, but but that's how you found out. I would have never have found out about that show otherwise. Even with advertising, because yeah. why would that ad stick out yeah. to you? I mean, there's just too many I, other. I knew my friend. I knew she had good taste. If she liked it, it couldn't be that bad from my point. Yeah, my father and I have a text thread going. Um, he's down in Florida. You know, I don't even see him every year, but every now and then there'll be a text like, oh, I just watched this. This is on Hulu. This was really good. Like I recommended Only Murders in the Building. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I just recommended Shrinking. But, mm-hmm. you know, there's it's, there's a whole, uh, 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 you know, level of, of that kind of thing. There are a number of people I know who I'm friends with, who I like. They're very nice people. I enjoy talking to them. <laughs> But when they tell me, oh, you got to watch this show, in the back of my mind, I'm going, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I don't trust their taste in programs. And, you know, sometimes I'm proved wrong, but mostly it's like, yeah, no thanks. Well, there's also the people that like everything. Yeah. <laughs> and that it's, that's that, that's a blank slate where it's like, oh, this, this guy's made some good recommendations and some terrible recommendations. And now that I think of it, he's never criticized anything he's seen. Uh, so th- that makes him the the, the perfect uh, viewer from the point of view of the media companies. Yeah, they can uh, just keep giving him things. It doesn't matter what the things are. The the other thing that's striking about what's available on streaming, which repeatedly undercuts new production, because basically we have two categories that we're talking about. One is it already exists. Somebody's budget covered this, and maybe it's been on the shelf for a long time, or maybe it's just been there, but it hasn't been promoted. And then there's new from scratch. Uh, you, you were alluding to some of the, the biggest budgeted uh, re- born streaming series uh, that, that have been hitting. So those are two very different challenges because from a consumer's point of view, Either one is okay. If I'm looking for something to entertain myself, for instance, uh, Harry and I have been exchanging notes about Tubi. That's a freebie. Mm -hmm. He's a freebie. And so we started exploring. And I think what pushed me to it is they had the, to to explore it, they had the honeymooners from the 1950s. I don't just mean the classic 39. I mean the Jackie Gleason comedy variety show uh, I, i'm going to say every season so i didn't find any missing season i'm talking about you go back to 1950 51 52 well for a tv historian there was in my mind uh, since the mid 80s the curiosity about the honeymooners european vacation season yes and it's there and it's it's there. It's intact. It has the glamour girls opening the show. It has—I don't think it has the commercials in it, but it has what I need to have experienced that. And it's something Harry and I would love to have when we were doing the first edition of watching TV. If we went to the museum of 
of now the Paley Center because that's, that's what we did for some of our Which, early. Uh, I used to work there. Yeah, I used and, to and, I, when I was in my twenties. I used to give the tours. Yeah, and so what, what was what wonderful about that is say, wow, we can see like the first aired mm. episode of The Fugitive, or we could see uh, a particular episode of Amos and Andy, something like that. Well, now with Tubi, it's there. It's yeah, and there. that was that was the draw of the museum. And I, uh, as I said, I worked there. It was about 1999. So there was mm -hmm. all this discussion of like, hey, if we put our archive on a website, we could people might come. And then, then you know, four years later, there's YouTube. But <laughs> that, but that was the draw of the museum. We we would meet people from all over the world. Yeah, I mean, people that, come. We were there soon after it opened up. And it, to us, it was like, you know, it was like he heaven. Yeah. Because there was at this, we're talking about the, what was this, Wally? This was well, the, like 78 or so. 78 yeah. or something. You know, there was just, there, there was nothing like that. The only, all, all you had was like old UHF stations that were showing reruns in the afternoons. And you could catch something then if you were lucky. Otherwise, you're out of luck. Uh, and and so this was just you know a find from heaven, but now of course you know I go on I tell Wally I bump into things on YouTube that I never dream I have we've heard about we had researched and read about, but we never dreamed we would ever actually see it on television. I get, it, well uh, no it's not worthy but it's so it's so obscure it's not worth mentioning. But it's interesting you mentioned UHF because as you were talking about Tubi. And having these, you know, these Jackie Gleason honeymooners that you'd never seen before. I was starting to think that, you know, the Tubies and the Plutos and the Freebies um, aren't, aren't they the new UHFs? Sure. Where, you know, oh. they're these second tier, which are kind of buried. I found all of uh, Freddy's Nightmares, yeah. the, the god awful Nightmare on Elm Street television show that wanted to be uh, the Twilight Zone. Um, yes. They had the whole thing on Tubi. The, they, they, they were, the industry refers to them as fast, free ad-supported television. Yeah. And that's what Tubi is. And, and um, th that, you're right, it's a good analogy to old UHF, because I remember when it first started, this, the fast stuff first started coming out, I thought, oh, you know, this is, uh, who cares? This is all, you know, the, the move, this old stuff, no one cares. But, you know, the cost is so little from their point of view in rights acquisition. And the, res, the, the money they get in uh, from the ads is it's it's a good business model and it's actually doing pretty well. And you see a lot of articles now about say, hey, this is a great investment for for the industry. Yeah, it's it's the me TV of the internet. Yeah, you know, and whereas mm -hmm. we grew up with every channel running reruns. I mean, um, granted, we're talking about watching television in the seventies and eighties, but you would see the Adams family every day and it didn't matter what channel it was on. Sometimes it, it could move from five to nine, but you could always see the Adams family. And, and then and what, what Wally said is correct though. It, to a lot of viewers these days, it doesn't, they don't have to be, they don't have to be old geezers like us, mm -hmm. but it doesn't matter if you're watching the Adams family from the mid sixties and you think it's funny, who cares how right. old it is, whether you're watching that or something that came out last year? You know, it's it's there. If you like it, you like it. Yeah, and that was the promise of streaming, that it would all be there. You know, um, I, you know uh, Peacock, I get Peacock for free because of Xfinity. 
and Peacock's owned by Universal. And when I first got there, why, there's all the Universal Monster movies. There's all the early Marx Brothers movies. And these are things that you can't buy digitally. You know, uh, you know, you could buy them on Blu-ray, but you can't buy a streaming edition of, say, Animal Crackers. And it was on Peacock, and I was like, great, this is fantastic. And then one day you go onto the page, and it goes, leaving 1031. Yep. And, and as I mentioned, we subscribe to Amazon Prime, Amazon Prime Video. And when we first signed up, it, it was somewhat the same thing. It had so much stuff, and it was all there for free. I mean, free in quotes. Of course, we're paying for it, you know, as a subscriber. But, but then all of a sudden, more and more things to, oh, no, no, no. You've got you to gotta sign up for this level here to get this and this level. And now there's a lot of things that I'd like to watch that I'm not going to because I'm not paying anymore. Because or else don't they give you the option of, in effect, renting it? Like, uh, yes, yeah. that is correct. But if I wanted to do that, I could get it elsewhere. Yeah, but I feel like we were talking about this on an earlier episode. I feel like the uh, the DVD type model of content is going away. I got very excited about with about iTunes about five years ago when they would they in the Blu-ray they would give you a code to get the free iTunes version, and I started to rebuild my library. And and now when I go into my Apple TV, my library is way in the back because there's an ad for Ted Lasso before I get to, you know, before I get to the Empire Strikes Back that I own. And in fact, uh, Apple TV with Siri, um, I used to love the Siri function on Apple TV because it knew I was looking for a show. So it was usually right on. And and one time we were watching 30 Rock. And so we picked up the Siri and we said, play 30 Rock. And we start watching 30 Rock for about five minutes and a commercial comes on. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, we bought this, we paid for this. And it was like, yeah, but uh, Siri just went to Hulu. <laughs> it's like, but, but it's in, but I bought it from you. You know, again, and, talking about viewing this from a historical perspective, to, to us, you know, we think back to the giant revolution when home videotape recording came in. That was really the declaration of independence for, uh, for TV viewers. And it was wonderful. And you could, you know, and the studios and the networks hated that from day one. And, you know, they fought it in the law cases, law courts, and they lost. And, but you know what? They've won in the long run because now it used to be you had it all. You had it on your machine, on your tape. It was yours. You could do whatever you want with it. Well, you don't do that anymore. Now you get it. You pay to be able to access it. And therefore, one day you wake up. And it's not there anymore. Yeah, Amazon did that with Kindle. And, and there are fewer and fewer uh, instances I've seen in which there actually is a DVD or a Blu-ray to purchase. Right. That is, if um, because that, that's that's what I go to. Uh, if I care about a particular series, then I would want to have that. I think for Netflix, there was a blip of time in which. Uh, maybe a couple of the Netflix series would be available on DVD. Yeah, I remember yeah. seeing Daredevil at the time. Yeah, I think maybe the Arrested Developments, which, but which, by the way, Netflix just announced they're yeah. pulling, even though they were the ones who brought it back, and that's yeah. what got their original productions on on uh, on track. And yet, and yet, oh well, not enough people watching it, so we'll we'll just pull the plug on our own series. So now it doesn't exist. Because well, as, as you were well, saying at the beginning of this episode, no one else can have it and we don't want it. 
and uh, but uh, yeah, we we have repeatedly expressed our admiration for the business side of how Disney protects its properties. Well, that's exactly what Disney used to do. Exactly. Back, back, back in in the theatrical feature film yes. days, it's like not even a home release. This is just better catch Mary Poppins now because it's going to be gone. And maybe in two and a half years, three years or so, it will have a triumphant return on a limited engagement uh, for uh, maybe uh, six months or so. And then it's gone again. Same with Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Any of those iconic Disney, especially animation series, yes, uh, animation feature films, would not always be available. If you were a, a booker of a theater that specialized in vintage uh, films, that's where you'd see Citizen Kane, that's where you, you'd see uh, any of the classics, uh, Disney would be available and then it wouldn't be available and they followed that up in this was all planned out on their part they they knew exactly what they were doing and they did a very good job and what we're seeing now is merely the modern iteration of that well they followed that through with with home video remember remember it was going into the vault they would put out they would put out cinderella on vhs i remember when they would announce when my little i mean it was a big thing they were reissuing dumbo for the first time in in decades we oh we ran out and bought the videotape you know and that and that's why they were so gleeful when dvd took off because they were like oh we can do this all over again with the people that already own it yeah and that's correct yeah and and uh, unfortunately the the breaking point for most people was blu-ray because what? Because you showed them you showed them something that looked like what they already had, and you say, "Well, buy it again." Why? Because it it works on a player you don't have yet, and that's when people went, "Well, I'm just going to want streaming," and then the whole thing collapsed. collapsed. And yeah. like like I was saying before, it was like we we tried the you know the digital uh, catalog model, and it it seems like everyone's just kind of given up on that idea. And so, basically, the question you you lured us in here with is uh is this the and shall we shall we call this farewell to the golden age of streaming and because i was telling my students i was going to be on this podcast and that that was the title i gave it even though that wasn't necessarily what you were going to call it but it was farewell to the golden age of streaming oh now it is that's a good title yeah (laughs) all right Copyright Wally Pedrazic 2023. You guys are already the guests. We know who came up with it. Yes. But in any case, uh, the that got me thinking if we're saying farewell to the golden age, how long was this golden age? And I'm guessing maybe no, not 15 minutes, but I'm thinking maybe if you really wanted to push it 15 years, 10 years, oh, that's, I'd say uh, like, I'd that's, that's, that's generous. 15 you years know, ago, they were I just trying to five to 10 years. Yeah. Okay. We're talking about golden age, five yeah. to 10 years. Yeah. yeah. And, and we're talking about production. Um, yeah. Right. I, right. Okay. Okay. Not just that you are able to access because, right. because that was actually, that was a monumental jump. We were talking about Netflix, etc. cetera. Um, and the early Amazon, for instance, it was look, you can buy this movie, but all you're doing is you're downloading it and now you're going to watch it. But streaming was, you're not even downloading it. You're just connecting to the stream and watching it. It's never yours. It's yeah, never that, yours. Th- that's what... in their world and they're charging you rent. 
Yeah. Yeah. When, uh, when I bought my Apple TV, it said it was 128 gigs. And I was like, I can only fit like 20 movies on there. And then, yeah. then I realized, oh, yeah, I'm not fitting any movies on there. Because right. I, I went to a demonstration uh, well, more than 10 years ago uh, to, the local, to an Apple store in downtown Chicago. And there was a special room where they would have classes visit and all. And we would talk. And so I asked him what I thought was a very straightforward question after they were showing off the, the Apple technology. He said, so how do I record something? <laughs> and it was like, well, well, you could just find, no, 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 no. Uh, I'm not even talking about ownership. It, it's coverage of a space launch. I want to get that so I could use it in a lecture later and all. You're not going to make that a show. So how do I do that? And the answer was you couldn't. At least it ain't designed for that. Now if you, you do it, you're going to hack it. You, yeah, you have to hope somebody did that and put it on YouTube. Exactly. Right. Yes. That's absolutely right. Yeah. And and you know what? To this uh, on uh, on for many cases that is still the case. I I was I, I was I'm a big baseball fan and and during the playoffs I must confess I didn't watch every inning of every playoff game. But what would happen would happen the next morning or the next afternoon evening I could go onto YouTube and they would have a mm, 10 minute edited down of from the actual broadcast of the highlights of the game. And I could watch that. And it was like, okay, fine. That's good enough. Yeah. I watched John Oliver free for about four years because it, he, they would put up one, they would put up a video that was like 25 minutes. Right. And it was like, there were a couple of jokes cut out of the beginning, but the whole episode was just up there and you're watching the ads, which, which are, by the way, are the most intrusive ads deliberately. You know, you'll be lucky if a person can finish their word before an ad comes in on YouTube. Yes. No, they, sometimes they're put in, in logical places and sometimes it's in the middle of a word. Yeah. Famously, Alfred Hitchcock, uh, when his movie started coming to, this is in the old ancient, the ancient days of broadcast television. And he said, look, I understand you need to put ads in. That's fine. Could you let me choose where they come in? Because he, as a director, had a sense of pacing and all. And he says, put them in, but not just this. Boop, there it is. It's 12 minutes after the hour. So, boop. That's where it goes, no matter where you are in the movie. He didn't win that uh, request. No, I was going to say you he wouldn't have won it today, but apparently he didn't win it. Didn't win the back then. He was just like, no, our sponsors want to know that it's uh, that they're showing Snickers at seven oh eight. Yep. What uh, since we're talking about the end, farewell to the golden age. Uh, if you had to name a handful, I'll make, I'll make it half a dozen. What were the, what have been the handful of streaming series in this golden age? Hmm. And John, you spent a lot of time, a lot more time absorbing. Let's let's say you're only allowed one Star Wars and <laughs> one Star Trek in there. So, well, yeah, like, well, I, I, I would toss Picard in there because I thought it was just masterfully executed. Yeah. Now, are you asking for quality, or what? Or what are the landmark moments? Oh, oh okay, both. Both. If, if quality and landmark happen to coincide, great. Yeah, I, I mean, 
I, obviously, as an old guy, I love the fact that everything everything is back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Every, you know, not only Star Trek as we mentioned before, but you know, the new season of Beavis and Butthead was amazing. Mm-hmm. It was it was so good because it was the Mike. It wasn't just Mike Judge coming back to do Beavis and Butthead, but it it was the Mike Judge who had then done King of the Hill and Office Space and Idiocracy, and it was at the height of his powers coming back to it, and that's something that would not have happened broadcast. They tried to bring Beavis and Butthead back on broadcast in 2011. And they said, they said uh, the audience had changed. It was all teenage girls. Uh, whereas in the nineties it was, it was teenage boys and it couldn't find an audience. Um, you know, I'm grateful that I think the pandemic was a watershed moment for streaming. I mean, certainly when you look at things like Disney, Disney couldn't put anything out in the theaters anymore. HBO max, um, which is also, what, one of the things that led to the problems they're having now, they were putting out a theatrical movie on HBO Max every month. Yeah. I remember seeing Dune on television before I could go to a theater because we were still in lockdown. They don't do that anymore. That was their, that was their brainstorm, which at the moment made a lot of sense, um, but it didn't make a lot of sense a year or two later. Right. Probably lost them the Wonder Woman franchise. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, although <laughs> DC has its own. <laughs> that, that, that again is a whole other stream of conversation. <laughs> yeah. Are we ever going to see that Batwoman movie? No, you know, you are never going to see it. You're, it's, it. It's next to the day the clown cried <laughs> <laughs> in an attache case in the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, we're, we're coming up on the hour. Uh, this has been a fantastic. Uh, conversation, but to um, to piggyback on your question, Wally, uh, uh, what were the big things? Where do we go from here? Is there a silver age of streaming? Or is it... Uh... Ooh, to get that comic book connection yeah. back. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, I, what I was going to say to answer to Walt's question is that being the lawyer in the group here, I was going to just respond to the question with another question, yeah. which, is, which is, you know, saying... Well, that's not the real, there's always going to be hit shows. That's not the issue. It's just that the menu is going to reduce. Yeah. That's all. And, you know, that that may be a bad thing from our point of view, from a, a number of people's point of view, but there's still going to be programs out there, new programs, whatever, and so forth. It's just that your amount of choice is being reduced. That's what, to me, is what's coming. What's here? And for the Silver Age, I may, maybe I'm I'm showing my uh, prejudice in terms of eras, but I would uh, character for character, story for story in the comic book world say that the Silver Age writing, artwork, etc., is much more enjoyable to me than the Golden Age. The Golden Age was the breakthrough. The Silver Age was the execution. Right. Um, and so I would say we're, pr- so I'd say, yes, there will be, there, there, there will be a, we've learned what can break through. We've learned how it can break through. We've certainly figured out ownership. If we haven't quite got it all nailed down, we will in the next couple of years. And so now we can take this well-oiled machine and move it forward. And by doing it as a well-oiled machine, we're talking about where do the new voices come from? The ones who can't stand the well-oiled machine. Mm. They, they, they will come and do something aggressive. It could be 
uh, I'm, I'm in from the Chicago area, it could be more and more of the locally produced, very niche type creations on the south side of Chicago or in the center part of the city. A lot of, I'm going to call it reality only because it's real people uh, telling their stories and all. And if you can come up with a model that makes it break even or even makes it profitable with a very small audience, you know, not a uh, only murders in the building audience, if you're talking about a lot of tune in or uh, certainly not a Super Bowl size audience. But if you can find a way to have the niche offerings work, then, yeah, it, it th those would be the outside voices. And in the meantime, you've got the folks who've been making, creating media for decades, if not an entire century, just the businesses are continuing. They're doing it. And they've just got a new platform to present it on. And and to continue what we've been saying, what I've been saying about we're we're viewing this from the really long lens. And in in many ways, what we're seeing is exactly what happened. If you want to take the analogy right back to the beginning of television, when oh, they were trying everything, quote unquote. And it was wonderful. And then all of a sudden they said, Oh my God, we got to make money on this. And and we wind up with cookie cutter sitcoms and drama shows and so forth. And then, you know, and so we were into the silver age then. And then, you know, the same thing happened with cable. The same thing's happening now. It's, it is very cyclical. Yeah. So what I'm hearing from you both, which makes so much sense, is that uh, no matter how the medium changes, the rules of television are the rules of television. So uh, say I wanted to read a book about the history of television <laughs> And uh, where would I go? Well, for starters, you, you might look to um, the authorship team of Harry Castleman and Wolf G. Pedrajic and their book, Watching TV, originally issued as four decades of television, American television. Then it became six decades. Then it became eight decades. Now, wait for it. Now, this is not official. But we are seriously preparing for a 10 decades edition. A century of television. But we've decided you want to call it 10 decades, not a century, because a century seems not as impressive. Whereas <laughs> 10 decades underscores the blood, sweat, and tears that we will have to put into every one of those years in those, th those new decades. So uh, that's where one, but right now, you could get the eight decades. You can find it on Amazon. You can go to our uh, publisher, um, uh, Syracuse University Press. Uh, it's watching TV, eight decades of American television. Uh, as I said, you can find it now, buy it, and enjoy it. And God willing, and if the creeks don't rise, the uh, 10 decades will be out at the fall of 24. Or so. And you can follow me at Not On My Book on Twitter and Instagram. That is the official Caffeinated Comics social networking feed. You can also go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash caffeinated comics for all the news that's fit to geek. And don't forget, if you want to see our video streaming podcast, the MCU Review, where we cover one MCU movie every episode. We just finished Infinity War. We'll be moving on to Ant-Man and the Wasp very, very soon. You can find that on Facebook and on YouTube and anywhere you can find video podcasts. They also come out as audio podcasts the week after they air. And don't forget, 
You can also see our new video podcast, Top Men, an Indiana Jones podcast. Very excited about this. Not only is Raiders my favorite movie ever made, and I always want to talk about it, but we've got great guests lined up, and we can't wait to bring that to you. But either way, you can listen to this show next week.